This is the Value Investor Podcast with Tracy Reinick. All things value, all the time. Welcome back, Value Investors. So I finally started reading the 2014 book that some of you have mentioned to me before called The Education of a Value Investor. And it's by Guy Spear, Spear, Spire, Spire. Let's go with Spire. As I started reading it, uh, I Googled uh, Mr. Spire and came across an interview from 2010 on YouTube. And that was conducted by Obelesk TV. If you Google them, you'll come across this interview as well. So the interview was interesting. So I started watching that and some of the other uh, YouTube interviews before I delved further into the book. So I paused reading the book. I think I read like the first chapter or so. And then I was just watching these interviews with Mr. Spire. But um, just some background on him. He left his investment banking job in the 1990s to open up his own fund. And that fund is based on value investing strategies used by Warren Buffett in the 1950s. And um, some of his motivation also comes from, and this is what the book is about, is about his lunch that he had with Warren Buffett. Remember, Buffett has auctioned off that lunch at the steakhouse every year for 20 years through 2019. And so uh, Mr. Spire and one of his friends got together to buy one of those lunches and that had a big influence on him. But after um, watching that initial interview on Opalesque TV on YouTube, um, I looked for more recent interviews and found one from the CFA Society of Mexico. It was their second annual value investing event, and that was on March 11th, 2021. So this year uh, in March, he was also talking about value investing. So, so I took some notes after watching both of these interviews just to kind of get an idea of where he stands on value investing um, because he is one of the managers out there that uh, people turn to and wonder and watch and see what he's buying and what he thinks about this market and what's happening with value. So he had some interesting things to say, and I'm going to condense it all for you so you don't have to listen to some of the interviews. So the first thing that I did write down was that he doesn't short stocks. So like myself, I am also a long only investor he too is um, long only and he doesn't short. And then his second philosophy is that he does little trading. And you can see that when you take a look at his fund that he owns, which we're, I'm going to talk about later on in this podcast, what's in there um, when he bought things. But he very, you know, does very little trading and he buys and holds for several years. So in 2010, when he gave that Opalesque TV interview, remember that was coming just after the Great Recession and the financial crisis. And at the time, um, he said he owned a concentrated portfolio, um, but it was over 20 positions in 2010. But at the height of the financial crisis, 70% of the portfolio was in just five stocks. And he did say he kind of learned that that was a little too concentrated. So by 2010, it was now over 20. Um, he talked about how it's harder to find overlooked companies. 
And that's just because everyone has access to the information now. Like nothing is really secret out there, right? So you have to find pockets of inefficiencies. He talked in 2010 about how the spinoffs used to be a good place to look. And those would be like spinoffs from companies because they do tend to get overlooked um, when somebody is, you know, sending a division or something off. And sometimes you can find some value there. Um, but uh, if, if that isn't working, he also said he's looking at successful businesses in um, he would look for successful businesses in the U.S. and Western Europe and then try to find similar companies doing the same thing in emerging markets. So that would mean like, you know, the Amazon of Latin America or something like that, where, um, you know, the company in the in the U.S. is not in those markets, but there is a market for what they do there. And so there's a homegrown company that has sprung up or it'd be like Stone Co in Brazil, the digital payments company. Uh, Companies like that is where he said to look for some value because it's a niche and we know it works because it's working in the US and Western Europe. So that's an area where you might be able to find some value. Another area he talked about is commodities. And that's when the commodity prices have fallen. So those companies go out of favor, they get cheap, and um, then they're gonna come back when the cycle comes back. We've seen this several times with agriculture and now with energy once again, but you can see it with the steel, um, a, a lot of different things on the commodity side, but those are gonna be more cyclical, right? Um, So the idea, he also believes, should work out two to five years at least. So none of it is short term. It's all much longer term. And then, of course, again, look for the pockets of inefficiencies. Now, he had lunch with Warren Buffett, like I said, um, but that didn't happen until 2008. Uh, He actually won the 2007 auction, and then they went to Smith and Walensky in New York for the lunch in 2008. And they got to spend three and a half hours with Buffett just talking about investing. And he has said he considers it, quote, life changing, unquote. So he paid what was then a record of $660,000 for the lunch. Um, Remember all proceeds go to the Glide Foundation in San Francisco. And by 2019, there was a new record set um, just before the pandemic hit that year for $4.57 million was the lunch in 2019. And if you remember, if you think back, um, it was by a crypto founder. So the crypto guy was going to go talk to Buffett about investing I'm not sure, did they ever actually meet or did the pandemic happen and then they couldn't do it? I don't know. If anyone knows, tweet at me. Um, So, but by 2019, Buffett had raised 34.2 million for Glide in 20 annual auctions, but there was not one in 2020 or this year in 2021. Unclear if it's gonna resume in 2022, but let's hope so because they, they seem to be raising quite a bit of money now off of those luncheons. Um, So Spire talked about Buffett's continuously evolving style in the more recent interview here in 2021. He talked about how 
uh, Buffett had a style in the 50s and the 60s. Then there was the 1970s. Then, of course, the 80s and the 90s, which was the bull market with a little bit different style. And now he lays out that 2000 to the current time period is another different investing style by Berkshire, still with the same underlying value principles, of course. But um, things change and Berkshire has gotten quite massive. And this is what I've warned about over the last several years now through this podcast is that the Buffett of 2021 isn't the Warren Buffett of 1975 or 1955, and the market's not either, but Berkshire Hathaway is now too big for Buffett to invest the same way he was able to do in the 70s or the 50s. So the bigness limits Buffett's options. He has over $100 billion in cash sitting there. Well, what are you going to do with all that? Yes, there is a danger in getting like too good at something. And now basically Berkshire is um, just like a big cap fund. So it's very different than what it used to be. So I thought I'd take a look and see what Aquamarine Capital owns. That's Guy Spire's own fund. And you can look that up because he uh, has to file under the SEC rules 45 days after the end of every quarter. So you can go on um, the sites and see what he has. So he has not changed his strategy that he talked about in 2010's interview of being concentrated. And um, I've said you need to hold at least 10 to 20 holdings to be diverse. Warren Buffett himself has said he believes you could have some diversity with as few as five stocks, but that's pretty concentrated. Um, so I think most investors should be better off somewhere between the 10 and 12 or 10 and 20 holdings in your portfolio to obtain that diversity. And that's in like both small and large caps and then different types of industries and sectors. So um, Aquamarine currently has 12 holdings. And so he's up there um, a little bit more in, in that realm of the 10 to 20 holdings, but not as high as the 20 that he apparently did have in 2010. So what's in this portfolio? Um, it's kind of interesting to see what other value investors are buying and um, you know get some ideas and all of that, but this has some interesting names in it. So there's just 12, like I said, and the largest holding is Berkshire B shares, ticker BRKB, is 18.7% of the portfolio. So he's a big fan of Buffett and he called the luncheon life-changing. So should it be surprising that he owns Berkshire? <laughs> no, um, he bought in the fourth quarter of 2014. So this is a long-term hold position. Um, the second largest position is Bank of America, ticker BAC. It's 15.5%. He also bought that in the fourth quarter of 2014. Then American Express, ticker AXP, is also 15.5% bought in the fourth quarter of 2014. Then MasterCard, that's the fourth largest, MasterCard, ticker MA, 13.7% bought also in the fourth quarter of 2014. And then it switches to a new newer holding micron ticker mu is 9.2 percent and that was bought in the third quarter of 2019 so just before the pandemic hit 
he bought some Micron. Um, number six is Ferrari. Interesting pick. Race is the ticker, R-A-C-E. It's 8.7%, but you bought it a long time ago. Bought in the first quarter of 2016. So he got it a lot cheaper than what it is now. Um, over the last year, that that uh, company is up 189% over just the last year. Uh, then number seven is Berkshire A shares. 6% of those also bought in the fourth quarter of 2014. Number eight position is Seritage Growth Properties. It's a REIT, but I looked it up and it's, it has the Sears Holdings real estate in it. Um, I guess it was spun off from Sears, ticker SRG. It is not currently paying a dividend. I'm assuming that's pandemic related and maybe the dividend was halted. It only has a billion dollar market cap. It's 4.8% of the portfolio and he bought it in the first quarter of 2016. Over the last year, those shares are up 54% um, and that's outperforming the S&P 500, which I think over the last year is now at 34%. Then number nine position is Moody's, ticker MCO, 4.2% of the portfolio. Bought that in the first quarter of 2016. The 10th holding is Wells Fargo, ticker WFC, so another big bank, ticker or part of the portfolio is 3.1%. Um, WFC was bought in the fourth quarter of 2014, along with the other banks and financials that are in this portfolio. Um, so I'm going to halt there. So that was 10 positions all bought between 2014 and 2019. Um, but you can see he does hold for extended period of time. And um, a few things about this portfolio halting right there before I get to the last two additions is that it's very heavy in the financials. So he owns both Bank of America and Wells Fargo. That's a big position in big banks. And then he owns the service side credit card companies, MasterCard and American Express, and then Moody's on the service side. So that's a lot of heavy financial services as well. So five out of the seven or 12 stocks, five out of the 12 are in these banks or services. But in addition, 21% of the portfolio is in Berkshire, which was until recently until 2020 and 2021 was very heavy into the banks and that was including its financials over 55 percent of berkshire was in financials at some point um just two years ago while he was owning it so um and remember 10 percent of berkshire even right now is in bank of america so he owns this big percentage in berkshire and then he also owns Bank of America and Wells Fargo, but Berkshire's now sold almost all of its Wells Fargo, so it's almost out of that. But that's a lot. Again, that's a lot of concentration in like banks and um, the services. Berkshire also owns MasterCard and American Express, so which he also still owns. So that's a lot. Again, very concentrated in this one area. Um, okay, so let's get to the last two positions because they kind of uh, divert here. So number 11 is Twitter, ticker TWTR. It's at 1% of the portfolio. And when did he buy it? 
in the second quarter of 2020 on the coronavirus plunge down. The, the 12th position, uh, the 12th holding in the portfolio is Alphabet, ticker G-O-O-G-L. It's 0.86% of the portfolio, so not quite 1%. And he also bought that in the second quarter of 2020, uh, obviously as that plunged down. So how could he be in Twitter and Google? Those aren't value stocks. But as I've said on this podcast many times, if you can get some of these growth names on a pullback or a sell-off, or in the case of last year's uh, coronavirus sell-off, a huge plunge, then there is value there. Um, There's historical value and there's value compared to your peers. So he was smart and dove in during the sold-off when a lot of these tech names were, you know, buying opportunities when they were deals. So buying stocks when they go on sale is value investing. It might not be classic value investing. It's not Ben Graham or um, really maybe even Warren Buffett and certainly not Warren Buffett of the 1950s, but maybe it is Warren Buffett of the 1950s. It's not Warren Buffett of the 2000s because Buffett did not dive in to buy anything on the big sell-off. Um, but uh guy spear did and he got into twitter and he got into alphabet so those have been good buys in the one year um the last year twitter is up 85.5 percent alphabet up 68.6 percent s p 500 up 34.5 percent and alphabet now hitting new all-time highs again so he was able to get in at a good opportunity there and Alphabet's still only trading about 26 or 27 times forward earnings. And so even today, it's not super expensive uh, compared to many other tech and growthy names. Uh, so Alphabet still has some value there. Um, Berkshire Hathaway, the B shares, by the way, his largest holding is up 52.5% in the last year. So it is beating the S&P 500 as a lot of the value names, including the industrials, did see you know um, a big rally here to start 2021. So Berkshire is benefiting from that. So now Mr. Spear was asked on the Mexico uh, CFA video, the 2021 video um, about these tech purchases, like, hey, you're a value investor, why are you in these tech purchases? And he said he was going outside his cave which uh, basically referenced his comfort zone. And then he did say he may get destroyed, he doesn't know, but he felt that he had to had to take some chances and go outside what his normal comfort zone is. is. Um, he also talked about it, whether or not some of these stocks are worth the valuation or not. And he talked about how, um, you know, we might need new ways to discover these businesses. So uh, that's a little bit of a, a divergence away from the normal value as well. But as we know, value has been a tough place to be. So uh, value investors are trying to look for ways to uh, reevaluate some of these companies and maybe go outside of the classic value investing to find some a little bit more growth names that still have some value um, in them. So 
So yeah, so he only owns little less than 2% of these two tech names, Twitter and Alphabet. And he hasn't said, why is it only 2%? Um, and he likes to have this concentrated portfolio, but that's not real concentrated in those two positions. And we don't know, he didn't answer on the Mexico uh, video, but I'm going to, to take a guess here and just guess that he didn't have much extra cash sitting around when the coronavirus sell-off came, that he was mostly invested um, during, you know, heading into that and maybe only had, you know, this amount of cash on hand to deploy when the sales came. And he didn't want to sell anything else or at least not big chunks of anything else because all of those had plunged down. So you're not going to sell part of your MasterCard or your Berkshire B shares to go buy some of these other things because you're going to take like a big hit on selling on the ones you have in there. So he just kind of went with whatever cash he had sitting around and deployed what he could into some of these numbers uh, in some of these. And that's why he ended up with such a small percentage. Now, based on how concentrated he is and that over 21% is in Berkshire B, it's not really going to help him that much that Google is hitting all-time highs because it's such a small percentage of his overall portfolio. Similar to what I've said about Berkshire's own portfolio with some of those small holdings that he has. So even if RH, which is in Berkshire's portfolio, is hitting new highs, which it has in this year, it's a very small percentage of the overall Berkshire portfolio. And so it doesn't really move the needle. So it's, you know, the point of being concentrated is to be um, so that you can get out performance when one of those concentrated positions is performing really well. So that's how you beat the S&P 500. But he has that. He has Berkshire B outperforming the S&P 500 right now. So and the banks have also had a good run to start 2021. So those have been outperforming. So um, that's probably why, you know, he's kind of sticking with this kind of uh, concentration in these areas. And uh, it will pay off when the financials do well, but not when they're not, <laughs> basically. Um, so to conclude, Mr. Spires says he doesn't know everything and that he continues to learn. That's what he said on the 2021 world. Um, he said this was a strange new world where many people have access to information. Uh, but remember, and this is me speaking, you don't need to have 10 winners. It would be nice if all of his portfolio was doing what Alphabet is doing right. But even if you just have one that outperforms, like his Ferrari, um, that has been a big outperformer over the last five years. Uh, you know, or MasterCard, same thing there that has been hitting new highs over the last five years. So it only just really takes one um, outstanding company and big winner to really drive your portfolio, especially if you only have 12 holdings. And remember, there's nothing really secret in this portfolio, right? I didn't, other than um, that ticker SRG, that REIT I had to look up and maybe Moody's ticker MCO, the, the rest of the holdings are ones we all know, we've all heard, we've all talked about. You could go buy it tomorrow if you wanted to, except maybe the Berkshire A shares. That's a little harder to buy, but that's why they've got the B shares, because they're more affordable for those of us on the lower end. 
And so there's nothing secret in this portfolio at all. These companies um, are all well known and it just kind of shows you don't have to get fancy. You do want to buy when the shares are cheap and you do want to get them as a value or on sale, but you don't have to go into some secret company that nobody's ever heard of um, that you know you think is going to be a big winner when these other companies are already winners in their industries and sectors. So you don't have to get fancy, as I keep saying. So that concludes today's podcast on Mr. Spire's portfolio and what he's talked about in some of his interviews. Now, I will be reading his book still um, because I am intrigued hear more about why he, um, you know, had the life-changing luncheon and how it changed his investing strategies and um, how that has influenced him because that's what we all are doing on the value side, right? And as Warren Buffett, every time he talks, we still do learn from him. And even if you've been in the industry a while, which Mr. Spire was before he even had the luncheon, um, sometimes you just need a reminder of why value investing works and why it's one of the best uh, investing methods you can be in out there. It hasn't seemed like it in the last five years because growth has beat up on us, but um, value still uh, creates some great buying opportunities. And if you're a long-term investor, that's where we wanna be. We wanna be in stocks that are cheap, that are growing those earnings because history has shown those are the best performers. Um, okay, so I'm gonna repeat all the tickers that are in his portfolio so you can take a look at some of those. Um, most are still somewhat values, but some are on the growthy side now, but the same is true inside Berkshire's own portfolio, which owns some of these. So let me just start off with the tickers. So there's Berkshire B shares, BRKB. You could buy the A shares if you are so inclined, which is BRKA. Then we had Bank of America, BAC, Wells Fargo, WFC. We had American Express, AXP, and MasterCard, MA. Then on the tech side, we had Micron, ticker MU. I own this in the value investor again. We've owned it uh, twice now, but we're back in it because the cycle is heading higher here on the semiconductor cycle. So Micron, ticker MU. Then he bought Twitter at the coronavirus lows, T Twitter, TWTR, and then Alphabet, which is breaking out. I own Alphabet in my own personal portfolio. G-O-O-G-L is the ticker on that one. And then we had Moody's, ticker MCO, and Ferrari, another growth stock, but he's been in it a long time, so he bought cheap, but it's not so much anymore, ticker R-A-C-E for Ferrari. And then the REIT, which was the Sears Holdings like spin-off REIT, it is not paying a dividend right now, is SRG is the ticker on that one. And I think that covers everything. There are a lot of tickers on this episode. So um, I'm gonna be reading the book and then we're gonna check in on some more ideas from Mr. Spire. As I said, it's always good to kind of see what's going on out there in the value community. And this book is a number of years old now, seven years old, but 
the concepts never get old, right? And so if you want to see what he's saying, you can listen on YouTube to some of these interviews that I've cited uh, because those are interesting too, but be sure to do so. And as always, I'm going to be covering all of this kind of information and more on the value space every week here on the Value Investor Podcast. So get us somewhere. We're on Spotify. We're on Amazon Music. We're on Apple Podcasts. But be sure to listen in and I'll be bringing you more stocks next week. So be sure to join us here on The Value Investor. This material is being provided for informational purposes only and nothing herein constitutes investment, legal, accounting or tax advice or a recommendation to buy, sell or hold a security. Do not act or rely upon the information and advice given in this podcast without seeking the services of competent and professional legal, tax, or accounting counsel. Publication and distribution of this podcast is not intended to create, and the information contained herein does not constitute an attorney-client relationship. No recommendation or advice is being given as to whether any investment or strategy is suitable for a particular investor. It should not be assumed that any investments in securities, companies, sectors, or markets identified and described were or will be profitable. All information is current as of the date herein and is subject to change without notice. Any views or opinions expressed may not reflect those of Zach's investment research as a whole.